All right, Omaha, welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. This is going to be a truly, truly awesome episode today because we have Dave Utterback, who is the chef and owner of Yoshitomo here in Omaha, one of the I, not only best sushi seafood restaurants in the city, I think just best restaurants in the city overall, wow. regardless of cuisine. Yeah. That's very kind. I'm very happy to say it. Welcome to the show, Dave. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So I just, real quick, I just want to give people um, who maybe haven't been to Yoshitomo a little bit of an introduction. I think a lot of people would kind of look at it and just a quick description, they might say, oh, Yoshitomo is a sushi restaurant. And I think you can kind of say that because you guys do serve sushi, but I would not, it's not a typical sushi restaurant. So I'll just kind of open it up to you. What makes Yoshitomo a different experience? Um, so <clears throat> I think Yoshitomo is, is quite a bit different. Uh, you know, essentially, yes, it is like a, su- a, a sushi bar. Um, you know, uh, when I opened it and when I con- conceived it, a lot of the sushi bars uh, here in the U.S. and kind of around the world outside of Japan, they try to be kind of um, a, a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Japanese food, kitchen food, fried food, uh, sushi you know, it, they try to do everything uh, so, you know, there you can be a, like a one-stop shop for just Japanese food. Mm-hmm. When in Japan, that's not really the case. Um, everything is really specialized. So, you know, if you want sushi, you go to the sushi place. If you want tempura, you go to the tempura place. If, mm-hmm. You know, if you want ramen, you go to the ramen place. You don't go to, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. sushi bar to get all of those things. There's no one-stop yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in Japan... Those kinds of restaurants are family style restaurants like Denny's or Applebee's or Chili's, you know. And so, you know, uh, you know, the core idea was to have something that that is essentially, yes, a sushi bar uh, in in the traditional sense. uh, But at the same time, there needed to be kind of another facet to that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to just kind of turn it on its head and and make it a little more interesting. You know, so uh, on the flip side, uh, we we also have kind of a casual fine dining mm-hmm. uh, aspect to it and uh, an omakase kind of experience. So uh, they're all essentially sushi seafood um, focused, but what's really great about the restaurant is you can have, you know, three or four different experiences kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, I, I haven't encountered too many restaurants that, that can do that. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think Omaha has a lot of different sushi places, but they're kind of more, you know, what you're talking about where they're serving a bunch of different things or, and th- th- this kind of goes into my next question. This is something I'm really excited to ask you about, actually, because I saw this quote and I was fascinated by it. So something I really like about Yoshitomo is you go in and you can you can place an order for five or six dishes at once, but they do not all come out at the same time. They come out, you know, about 10 or 15 minutes apart and I really appreciate that because I was like, oh, I, you know, this restaurant is being thoughtful. Like they're encouraging you to enjoy your meal and enjoy your company versus just wolf it all down at once. But then I was I was doing some research for this interview and I saw that that you had a quote and you said, when I see people order these big sushi boats, it kind of breaks my heart because sushi yeah. should be eaten within 30 seconds. So can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Because I think that's fascinating yeah. and so cool. You know, so, you know. If you really kind of think about it practically, you know, if 
that that sushi boat at every other sushi bar, you know, maybe it's got 15 or 20 rolls on it. Right. And if every roll takes a minute and a half, two minutes to make, maybe it took 30, 35, 40 minutes to make those rolls. So you came into the restaurant for fresh food. It took 40 minutes to make all of that food. It's fish. It's been sitting out for 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then it gets to your table. And maybe the first roll or the first piece of sushi that was made, maybe the last piece of sushi that was eaten across an hour, hour and a half, two hours. So you came in for fresh food and you ended up eating two hour, three hour old food. Mm -hmm. Like that's just. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) You you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't come into any restaurant and go, give me three hour old food, please. Right. Right. Uh, And so while it's fancy, you know, it's, it's like impressive, you know, it's good for Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it looks great, you know, to get a giant mountain of sushi. Uh, You know, it's not the best way to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You want to eat food right when it's made. You know, you you want that rice to be fresh. You want that fish, uh, uh, you know, freshly cut. You know, it's just not a great way to experience food in general. And so, you know, when we when you do order a bunch of dishes, the restaurant's so small, uh, you know, and that was purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see every, you know, whoever's running the the the, the restaurant for the night, we can see every table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can quickly look up, see if you're finished with your food, if you're about to be, maybe it's been a couple of minutes and you're looking around for your next bite. Uh, and so we course, you know, to the best of our ability, we try to course every single, uh, item that you order. And we, we try not to give you too much, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you've got two or three or four items on the table, you're not really paying attention to that one thing that you're eating. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you're sharing food with another person, you know, you may have a couple of items on that plate that you want more than the other person. And you're just trying to get like yeah. your piece of it, you know, like I just want to <laughs> scarf this down so I can, you know, I really love it. And I, I just want it. Oh, that's and, definitely and happened so, with me and my yeah, wife. Before. You know, so oftentimes <laughs> we're eating and we're not really thinking about what we're eating and we're, we're not kind of in the moment with that food. Uh-huh. And so even if you order, you know, 10, 10 different kinds of fish, we're probably going to give you two or three at a time. Mm-hmm. Or if you order, you know, four or five of our tasting menu dishes, you're going to get them one at a time. So, you know, you're forced to just focus on that dish and and eat it and taste it and think about it. And then you get another one. You know, you can't eat two things at the same time. Uh, you know, it's it's just, well, I guess you can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you wouldn't get two two plates at a restaurant and yeah. both put both of them in your mouth right. and try to eat them at the same time. So, it doesn't really make much sense for us to just give you, you know, everything you ordered at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe it doesn't produce the big, you know, sushi boat, Instagram sure. picture, but I can confirm from my tweets and Instagram, you get, you can still get plenty of plenty of interaction by yeah. taking pictures of Yoshitomo stuff. And more importantly than taking pictures, it tastes delicious. Yeah. That's what matters. And yeah. like you said, you're not mixing those flavors. You're not getting confused. Um, you know, you're not just throwing a bunch of wasabi on sushi. This is all like very thoughtfully crafted. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, I, I thought about the experience from the beginning into the end. It's something that, you know, our, we, we talk about with our staff, uh, front of the house and, and the, and the sushi chefs, you know, we think about what experience we want to give a guest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from the moment you walk in the door, uh, to, to, to when you're paying the bill and you're walking out, oftentimes, uh, restaurants, you know, tell you they, they, they really care that you're there and they want you to have a good time. 
but I feel it's often a lot of lip service. Like everyone's supposed to say, we want you, you know, we're, we're here for you. We're, we're here to serve you. But the service staff doesn't often care. The sushi chefs are just making food and, you know, uh, uh, slinging it on the tables. And really everyone's just kind of waiting to clock out. Right. And so we've tried to think about every aspect of that experience, you know, from when you come in to when you sit down, what you should be eating, you know, how you should eat it, you know, we, the best way for that food to be presented. Uh, and so every kind of aspect of your, your time in the restaurant has been thought about, you know, there's a reason why we don't, don't put ginger and wasabi on the tables. There's a reason why there isn't uh, regular soy sauce in the restaurant, you know, in other sushi bars, they're just so eager to just give you everything, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the fear that you might not come back because they didn't have the thing that you wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I want this thing or I, I need spicy tuna. I need a California roll, you know, in an attempt to give you everything that you could ever want in the restaurant, they dilute the experience, mm-hmm. you know? So yep. for us, removing a lot of those things enhances the experience. It, it kind of focuses you and it pushes you kind of in, into a, uh, an experience that we think is best, you know? So for instance, when we, when we first opened, we had a California roll, you know, it's the cheeseburger of sushi. (laughs) Yeah. You can find that anywhere. Yeah. yeah. That's a staple. And it makes money. It makes a lot of money. It pays the rent. Uh, it pays for the, all the bills, the, the California roll runs the restaurant, but for us, every time, you know, we would sell a California roll in the beginning, I would think, man, I wish I wish they didn't order that. Uh-huh. Like, I wish there are so many other better things on the menu. You ate the California roll and now you didn't get a chance to eat this other thing. Yeah. And so, you know, sushi bars are full of those things. So, you know, we thought, well, let's just get rid of all of them. You know, so we it. don't have it. Sure. We'll, we'll sell it to you. You know, if you, I want a California roll, I've made plenty of them. I know how to do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. We'll sell it to you. But, you know, if we take away a lot of those easy, easy options for you, then you're kind of forced to interact with that menu and your server and you're closer to getting that experience that we want. Like we know that, you know, there are 10 odd things that, that we're really known for. And we, and we're hoping that you order all 10 of those. Mm -hmm. And we know if you do, you're going to like all of them. But if we fill the menu with all this extra stuff, the chances of you having the perfect experience uh, to us is, is, uh, much smaller. Mm-hmm. So in taking away options, uh, you end up with a better experience. And at the same time, you know, you can get all of those other things that, that you want anywhere. You mm-hmm. can get them at Walmart and target right. and the grocery store. Like you don't need to come to a restaurant to eat a California roll. Uh, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense for us to try to, you know, give you a really basic experience mm-hmm. ordering a california roll a yoshitomo is like going to like one of the world's finest steakhouses and ordering a side salad it does happen and you know we we have a a a, a kind of delivery and to-go uh business that we sell a lot of those things yeah. and when you're at home you know and you just want to lay on the couch like those things are great you know and and they travel well uh, much better than than most of our menus. So like we still sell those things. 
we just don't try to sell them to you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we'll provide them. They're available, upon, but you're not like trumpeting it. Right, out right, there. right. <laughs> yeah. They're available upon request. Uh, but you know, it's really not part of the experience that we try to, we try to give people. Now, part of the experience that you do try to give people is one of my personal favorite dishes in all of, all of Omaha. And you'll have to correct me if I'm pronouncing this in, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but the Aburi Wagyu. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You got it. Just crazy delicious. I, I came across it as I'm sure many people did when it was included on the Bloomberg list of the 19 things you should have eaten in 2019. This is a, a nationally curated list. And this, this writer identified this dish in the middle of the country in Omaha, Nebraska. Can you break this dish down and, and just yeah. talk about why it's so incredible? So that was uh, Kate Crater, um, who uh, is the editor of the Bloomberg Pursuits um, and kind of interest section. And to those that don't know, she's kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, she was the, the restaurant's editor for food and wine for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know? So every time, you know, there was those list best, you know, 10 restaurants in the United States, uh, that was essentially her. Uh, and, you know, she's very well known uh, in the food industry. And so, you know, when she gives you a thumbs up, it's it's like a pretty big honor. Yeah. Um, but that dish, that dish is, is super simple in its concept. Um, but I thought about it a lot uh, upon creation. Uh, it doesn't seem like um, a very typical sushi item uh, upon first glance, mm-hmm. um, but it has a lot of the things that we kind of look for in sushi. So it's essentially a cut of Wagyu. Uh, the, the beef we source is, is from Imperial, uh, which is kind of a local co-op, uh, here, uh, in, uh, Nebraska and Iowa. And we take, uh, some of this Wagyu and we cure it in Koji, which is, uh, a rice spore that's, it's, it's harvested from Japanese rice and, uh, Koji is used. It's, it's the building block of Japanese cuisine. You need Koji to make soy sauce, miso, sake, rice wine, uh, you you need it to to basically cook Japanese food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over the last couple of years, chefs are finding out that it's it, it can also be used to do a lot of other things. Uh, and so when you cure a piece of meat in koji, in three days, you get uh, a piece of meat that tastes like it's been aged for ninety days. Wow. It's kind of like a a, a restaurant food hack. <laughs> um, you know, harnessing the power of science. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, what happens is that a lot of the, the same things chemically that happens in a, in a piece of beef that's been hanging for 90 days happen, uh, when you, uh, rub these koji spores, uh, on the meat. And so you end up with this like kind of dense, you know, it pulls a lot of moisture out. You end up with this kind of dense, uh, bite that has this nutty flavor that, that uh, an aged steak does. Uh, and then, you know, we just add a little bit of um, garlic and uh, a sea urchin butter that we make. Oh, that uni butter. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a, a dairy industry person in uh, a few weeks ago, and I told him, you know, we were having the bite, and I was like, this is uni butter. And he's like, you can milk a sea urchin, <laughs> and, you know, like I had to, like, no, 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 no. We, we don't it's not milk, quite how it works. We don't milk sea urchins. Uh, <laughs> we just take sea urchin, we puree it, and we just add it to some European butter um, and make a, a compound butter. And it's 
super delicious. And so the beef gets torched. Uh, all the other ingredients get added to it. Mm-hmm. And then that the butter gets sort of melted. And then a, kind of a specialized sushi soy called nikiri gets added to the end. And so you get this like warm bite uh, that has like all of the kind of steakhouse flavor in it. Uh-huh. Um, and it just works really well with, uh, you know, kind of the sour sushi rice. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just ends up being this real dynamite, you know, uh, item. I didn't expect it to be as popular uh, as it has become. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. My goodness, that was a beautiful description. <laughs> so, I mean, speaking of the popularity, like when you get mentioned, you know, by a writer like that, I assume there are a lot of people like me who were already fans of Yoshitomo, but then they're like, oh, shoot, there's a dish that I have to try. What was business like after that article comes out? Um, About the same. Really? Yeah, you know, it's not like... There, there's a huge population of people uh, reading Bloomberg daily. Fair enough. That's just me. Um, and then just <laughs> racing, racing down to, uh, to check it out. And kind of, you know, we're still somewhat of a secret. Yeah. And so everybody who's, uh, everybody who sort of knew about us in town, you know, has already kind of tried it. Mm-hmm. And the shares were shared amongst their friends. And so, like, there, it's not like there were a bunch of people who, uh, you know, just hadn't been into the restaurant. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, as it's kind of been circulating, we're, we're seeing a lot of new guests. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's kind of uh, snowballed into some other, you know, mentions and other things and, you know, uh, the, the, the promotion from all of these uh, kind of online lists and uh-huh. things uh, are just compounding into a, a lot of new business, which has been really awesome. Okay, people. Well, if you if you are not in that little circle of friends who is not going to Yoshitomo, just press pause, stop listening to this podcast, go make a reservation, or just go right now and get get all kinds of sushi, but get the Aburi Wagyu for sure. We need to put that in there. Um, <laughs> so, okay, I got to ask you more about is it Omaske? Oh, uh, no, 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 no. I'm totally screwing it up. The, the, the special <laughs> omakase, dinner. Omakase, omakase. Holy cow, Pat, you might need to edit that one. That's so, bad. you know, Japanese uh, pronunciation, there's there's no, like, stressor accents. So oh. it's always, like, vowel consonant, and it's you just say it straight. Omakase, omakase. Just trying to make myself sound as white as possible. Um, You've done it. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the, these dinners, they're only... Um, you, you do a couple of them uh, every once in a while, and they're they're limited seating. People have mm-hmm. to get tickets. Can you just kind of I, – I, I'm excited. This is like a bucket list thing for me because I have some really good friends who I know really know food who say this is like, if not the best meal they've ever had, it's one of the best meals. Can you just kind of describe for the listeners what these dinners are and why they're so popular? Yeah, so – uh, usually three to four nights every other week, mm-hmm. uh, we host an omakase. And it's essentially just a private tasting menu. Um, it's, it's, it's the kind of the, the, the highest form of sushi um, that you can experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in Japan, there's quite a few of these counters. Um, they're all six, eight seats. Uh, very exclusive. 
um, very expensive, but you know, at these dinners you get the best fish, um, the best rice, um, the best dishes. You know, it's it's essentially me serving you eighteen to twenty pieces of sushi just privately, mm-hmm. um, and so the fish are different than what you get in the restaurant for the most part. Um, all of the ingredients are are a little bit different. Um, they're they're quite a bit uh, more uh, exclusive. Uh, everything, pretty much everything, is is flown from Japan. Uh, all the ingredients are sourced from Japan, from rice, uh, rice, vinegars, salts, sugars, fish. Every tool that I can get, um, almost everything in that experience is from Japan. So the idea is trying to give you one of these exclusive omakase rooms in Tokyo. Uh, the, the experience that you get there, you know, bring it to Omaha. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're, you know, they're very, they're very rare experiences in Japan. You know, there may be a couple hundred in Tokyo, uh, but they're all six to eight seats. Um, and there's 36 million people in Tokyo. So most Japanese will never, ever have that kind of experience. It's also very expensive. Uh, and so, you know, I, that's a lot of the type of sushi that I, I, I eat when I'm in Japan now. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to bring that experience back home in kind of a more accessible way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's essentially what it is. It's, it's a private, private meal, you know, with, right. with, me and six six people. Yeah. You know. So something that I'm really interested in, and I had, it, it, it's it's like a recent fascination for me. I just had Anthony Keeper from Dolce mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast last week, and, and we talked a lot about tasting menus and how he finds, you know, inspiration from different things. And he might come into the restaurant one night and not know what's going to be on the tasting menu. And in two hours, he's, you know, crafted this just beautiful delicious menu of things how do you kind of get your inspiration for these special dinners where you mentioned you're not necessarily serving you know things that are available on the regular menu but you're coming up with really a personalized dining experience um so i am much uh less talented than than uh mr cooper uh and so i can't i can't come up with food like that like it takes me (laughs) weeks and weeks to kind of come up with a dish yeah uh that i think i should serve people uh, and so a lot of the things have been kind of in the pipe for a long time. Yeah. And then the, the day will come where I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to let people eat that. Uh, but for those omakase dinners, um, it's, it's not too hard to put together a meal. You know, there's some signature items that are kind of expected uh, uh, to the dinner. And then there's some, you know, seasonal fish that are kind of out on the market. And, you know, then there's a few dishes, you know, that we're either working on or are kind of reoccurring in the meal themselves. Mm-hmm. And then that just leaves, you know, a, a few courses here and there uh, for, you know, new things. And so the Omak say it's, it's, it's pretty easy to put together that meal. Um, as far as the restaurant, we, I, you know, I, I, we have a, a pretty large tasting menu, uh, but... I would say half of it is always around and the other half kind of changes, you know, every couple of weeks seasonally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried to get rid of some of our more popular items and they'll go for like two or three weeks and then everybody's still trying to order them. So uh-huh. I, I just, ha- I, 
I've come to the realization that half of our tasting menu is just going to be a permanent menu. Yeah. And then we have a much smaller <laughs> rotating tasting menu. That That's really, really cool. Now, we've been talking for 20, 25 minutes here. And I think, you know, anyone who's listening to this knows that you really understand sushi. You you are very experienced in this. But I want to go way back and <laughs> and talk about how you first got into sushi can you can you tell me about applying at Blue and how you yeah. got that job for the first time? Yeah, so uh, I was just working retail, uh, selling video games, and uh, a friend uh, was working at the original Blue location. There was only one at the time, uh-huh. uh, and he said they were hiring, and I just thought it would be. I don't. I really liked sushi, and I always kind of wanted to make it, uh, and I, I'd even kind of worked for a few months at the original sushi Ichiban as a busboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be a sushi chef, uh, but I, I never made it there. Uh, but I, I I went down to that blue location and I put in my application. It was very busy. Uh, I sat down. I was you know like a poor 23-year-old kid. And so right. I just wanted some sushi. I probably ordered a California roll. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but I, I ordered a, a little bit of food. I didn't tip very well, and that server, uh, she, like, threw my application in the garbage. <laughs> uh, and so I, I left, and, you know, uh, a couple days later, I got a call and interviewed and got hired, and uh, the, the chef at the time, Tom, you know, told me that the server threw my, my application in the garbage because I was a bad tipper. Uh, and, you know, so literally my, my whole career just – Kind of started in the garbage. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, we Omaha just as a community owes Tom so much. We yeah. should like build Tom a statue I or something. Tom. We'd have no Yoshitomo if not for Tom. Yeah, I've I've learned so much from Tom Booter uh, uh, at Blue. He's uh, a great mentor. Um, he, you know, he's just kind of an amazing all around guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm very thankful he he pulled my application out of the garbage and gave me a chance. So obviously starting with some humble beginnings at Blue, but then you worked your way up to an executive chef, and then you started doing pop-ups around Omaha and then even other cities. How did that kind of get started? Like what was that progression from starting at Blue to moving into the pop-up game? So I started at Blue, you know, essentially I had done some small cooking gigs here and there, but I didn't know how to cook or do anything really in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I essentially started as a prep guy. My first job was to sweep the floor, you know, and I did it wrong and I had to be <laughs> shown the right way to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, but eventually I worked my way up, you know, to the sushi chef uh, and then, you know, a head sushi chef and then a, a corporate chef with the company. And, you know, sushi chefs and chefs in general – Every couple of years, you get a your ego grows, mm-hmm. and you get to a point where you're like, I know everything, and I'm the best, <laughs> yeah. and there's no one better than me. And then you meet somebody who's much better than you, and you kind of uh, get put in your place, and uh, you you realize how much you don't know. Uh-huh. And so that, hap- that had happened a couple of times. I was like, I am the best. <laughs> I know everything there is about uh, uh, sushi. Uh, but I... I I took uh, my first trip to Japan, um, and I got a chance to eat with uh, Jiro Ono from the Jiro Dreams of Sushi documentary. Mm -hmm. And the meal 
just kind of changed my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that food could be that way. I'd never eaten a, a really fancy, expensive omakase before. I didn't know that. I didn't really realize that uh, cooking was a real profession that people wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I thought that cooks cooked uh, because, you know, there was just nowhere else for you to go. You know, you just right. didn't, you didn't fit into the nine to five uh, uh, regular people jobs. And so that was the first time I saw that people were professionals and, and it was amazing. And I wanted to be that. And so I came home and I, I started, I stopped messing around. Um, I started really studying and um, trying to learn more about the cuisine. And I kind of got to a point where I thought that uh, I would like to do an omakase uh, because I thought that, you know, I knew everything because uh-huh. my ego had grown again because yeah. I had learned more and more. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're when you're cooking at someone else's restaurant, you're always going, when I have my own restaurant, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And I know everything about these ingredients. And so I, I did the, this first omakase and uh, it was right around the time um, I was kind of, chefing uh at the downtown location and so there was mm-hmm. a little a little bit of uh extra uh space in the in the corner and i i decided i was going to do this omakase and it was really hard and it it showed me that i actually didn't know anything really i mm-hmm. didn't i i had a a passing knowledge of these things that i thought that i i really knew a lot about and it kind of, to me, exposed my uh, my skill level. Uh, but people seemed to enjoy that experience, the two people that came. Um, <laughs> they seemed to really enjoy it. And so, you know, I, I decided that, you know, I would need to do more of them so I could practice. Uh-huh. Uh, because Blue, at the time, Blue wasn't making the, the kind of sushi um, or food that uh, would allow me to improve that side uh, of of my skill set, right? And so, in having more omakase, it gave me more opportunities to like study rice and study fish and learn to cut new fish. Um, and so, th- for those first, you know, year or two, a lot of it existed solely for uh, me to just train myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the the advantages of being the chef of that downtown location was it was very busy and they made a lot of money. And so I could get uh, a piece of fish in and teach myself to cut it and then try to sell it as a special in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of chefs just don't have that opportunity. You know, the fish are very expensive. And so, you know, I thankfully had kind of carte blanche to just order fish, uh, and, and sell it in the restaurant. And so those early, the early days of the omakases were just, tr- just training. Uh, but they were usually seasonal. Um, they were, they were invite only, um, you know, friends telling friends, telling friends. Um, and they were just, you know, they were kind of on my days off, uh, when I could get time, you know, to kind of squeeze into this busy restaurant and do this thing. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they were really uh, just uh, they were they weren't great experiences uh, in comparison to, to what, what you've they, got now. What they've got, what I've got now. <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually reached out a, 
a year ago to a lot of those guests because uh, I, I have a you know I have menus and guest lists from the very first one on, and I reached out to those a lot of original guests who have not been back since, uh, you know, and just like apologized and just asked them to come back. You uh-huh. know, the the food's better, the sushi's better. <laughs> I promise. You know, yeah, I promise. Um, <laughs> you know, they may have had a, a great experience back then, but uh, it's it's definitely come a long way since then. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool to hear. So how, how, like, what's the step between doing those dinners and and having some success and learning more, like you said, to the point where you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take the leap. And it's a big leap for anyone who makes it, but I'm going to open a restaurant. So at a certain point, um, you know, I had been kind of helping blue grow, uh, you know, the flagship restaurant group, uh, as a corporate chef for, for a number of years. Uh, and you know, it, it just, I, I, at a certain point, you either have to decide that you're going to help build someone else's dream or you have to build your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was kind of hard to, you know, take that step. Uh, but, you know, as you start to have those those ideas, it becomes harder and harder to to, to, to do a really good job right. um, in the job you're doing, you know, sure. because you, you kind of want to be somewhere else. Uh, and so I, it, it just got to a point where uh, there was really no choice. Um, I had to open my own restaurant. Um, and so when I uh, parted ways with the company, you know, there was six months where I, I almost didn't work at all. Uh, I was doing pop-ups. I was trying to do a lot of pop-ups. Uh, I was filling in a couple random hours for Blue. You know, when, they, when somebody called out, uh, I would go and work. Uh, but I knew that I could never go back to working for somebody in their restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, and so, you know, it was, we, we opened that, that restaurant very quickly. Um, you know, more, most restaurants take six to eight months to sort of build. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. we got that thing open in three months. Cause like, I, I just needed a job, yeah. you know, like I just needed to work. Uh, and so that's essentially what it was. It was, it, there was no choice. Like I had to open my own restaurant or I was going to have to put in applications at sushi bars again yeah. and hope they don't get thrown in the garbage. <laughs> you know? Or maybe hope they do because it worked out well last time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but something that I, I really like to ask chefs in just that I've learned, I feel like so much about the restaurant industry in the past couple of months, but I love learning more from the people who are actually in it. What is something to you that you think that most of the general public does not understand about the restaurant industry, being a chef, working in restaurants, that you would like them to understand? So, you know, when you come to dinner, um, when you come to dinner, uh, a lot of times you don't think, I don't think guests realize how much work was done before they even walked in the door. Exactly. Uh, you know, when you see me on a Friday night at eight o'clock, I've already worked 11 hours, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, you're tired, you've been on your feet, you know, oftentimes I haven't eaten anything uh, in that time period. I've just been running around, you know, like a crazy person trying to get, you know, <laughs> yeah. preparations for dinner ready. Right. And so, you know, uh, people are, you know, they, they want your time and, you know, they're excited about the experience, but oftentimes like, you know, 
they, I don't think they realize that, uh, you know, everybody in that restaurant has pretty much been working all day up until that point to make your meal. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we get it wrong. Uh, you know, we, we try really hard, you know, to course every single uh, meal or, or item of your meal. Uh, we try to make it perfectly every time. But, you know, after 11 hours of work, you know, things sometimes go wrong. And so uh, we often have this inclination to just um, think badly about the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and Incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, we got it wrong for sure. Uh, but oftentimes the guests won't say anything. You know, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll come up to the table and say, was everything good? And yes, everything was excellent. You know, and then they, they and then go they home go and home and, and write on Yelp. Yeah. And they go home and they're very unhappy about, about the, the thing that they experienced. And the reality is I will do almost anything to make sure that you leave that restaurant happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there should be no shame or embarrassment in saying, Hey, that wasn't very good. I didn't like the way that tasted or that wasn't the way that I liked it, or I I waited too long, you know, we don't get angry at, at the guest for having those feelings, not like at all. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say you didn't like something, you know, when it comes back to me, I don't look over at the table and go, that's a terrible person. (laughs) He didn't like that. Or they didn't like that. Uh, They should just get out. It's, it's more like, what can I do? What can I make you uh, that you will like? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because essentially, you know, we, we really do truly want you to have a wonderful time in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got two kids at home. They're, they're pretty young. Me and my wife don't ever get to go out. Um, we went out for the first time in 14 months, two weeks ago. Oh, wow. And so we went out to dinner. And if that dinner had not been a great experience, that was our one chance to go out. Uh-huh. You know, and if it had been ruined uh, for, for some reason... That, that was it for us. There may be another 14 months before we get to go out and, 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 and have a good time again. Uh, and so that's essentially how I think of each guest that comes in. Like this may be the one time that they get to go out and they've decided to come to my restaurant. And that's so cool. Uh-huh. I, I will do anything to make sure that you don't leave unhappy. Uh, and so, you know, just speak up, you know, be an advocate for yourself in the, in the restaurant. If you're not having a good time for any reason, uh, within reason, uh, say something, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and almost every restaurant is going to go out of the way to make, make it better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is amazing. I love that passion so much. And while I feel like I could pick your brain for hours, I think that's a good place to end. I want to respect your time. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was so much fun, and I learned a ton. I hope the listeners learned a ton, too. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, Omaha, thank you again so much for listening to this episode. Just continue to download. We're going to continue having awesome guests on. Go out to Yoshitomo. Get the Bori Wagyu. Try a... Omakase. There you go. Omakase you dinner. Yes. Oh my gosh. I managed yes. to say it without totally yes. screwing up. I, I just saw your brain turn completely <laughs> off. Like, and you shut down like a robot and I, then you just booted back up and you had it. I did. I was like, I am not saying it wrong this time. I will pause for two seconds and say it right rather than totally screw it up again. Anyway, get out to Yoshitomo. Omaha, thank you for eating with me. 
Production.